And now, live, it's time. Which team, by colors alone, is identifiable around the world? It's time for the JT the Brick Show. Which team, by slogan, commitment to excellence? On Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Just win, baby. All those things are the Raiders. Here's your host, JT the Brick. Out of the gate, happy Monday. Welcome to the show, JT. Back in Vegas after a long weekend, visiting my son in college in Oklahoma with my wife and son, and we are back. Knocked out my national show last night, so I'm all prepped up. Don't need a three-hour pre-show meeting. I'm all ready to go. I did that show last night, and now it's countdown to the NFL draft brought to you by PTs, 64-plus locations in the Valley, a proud partner of the Vegas Golden Knights, and we're excited to get rolling here. This is a big 10 days for all of us on Raider Nation Radio. A huge 10 days. A week from Thursday, I'll be back doing what I think I do best and what I love to do the most, anchoring the Raiders draft with a couple of former players and a lot of really cool programming based around that. That starts off a week from this Thursday, and we're ready to roll. And I'm excited, and I'm really pumped up for this draft. I think it's going to be great. I think the Raiders are set up perfectly to get a really good player early on with the 17th pick, and hopefully you get a chance to watch it at PT's Best Happy Hour in Town with all those locations. Head to any PT's, Sierra Gold, Sean Patrick's, the SG Bar. You can do it at the Strat, Arizona Charlie's, and get in front of a TV and get ready for the draft. I'm fired up for the Raiders who have to have a big draft. It's got to be big, and I'll get to why coming up here momentarily. Let me tell you what I'd like to do over the next 10 days, and not total 10 days. We're not here on the weekends. But as we have two weeks of shows leading up to that Thursday, I'd like you to make the first selection in the draft. I really would. I'd like the Raider Nation to set me up and help me up. And I don't need a lot of help usually, but I'm asking for your help on this. Who do the Raiders take at 17? That's really all I want to do. Over the next two weeks. So when I'm sitting there anchoring the draft and that pick is made and I look at Eric Allen and I'm talking to Lincoln Kennedy, we're able to say, yeah, you know, Raider fans told me this a week ago. Raider fans love this pick because this is the pick that they told me on the radio. I don't know where you want to go. I don't know what position you want. I don't know if you want to trade up, if you want to trade back. If there's a specific player that you think the Raiders have to get, I need to know that. I cannot read your mind. And I, I can look at Twitter at JT the Brick, and I can look at my Facebook page at JT the Brick and get an understanding of what you want, but I'd rather hear your voice over the radio talking about it as I get my voice going after the weekend. So that's all we're doing, excuse me, here over the next 10 days, is I'm trying to figure out who you're going to take with that 17th pick. And we're going to have a lot going on. We're going to have a lot going on with this. And if you're that big of a diehard Raider fan like I know you are, you know what this team needs to do. you got a great understanding. The Raider Nation is a really dedicated and smart fan base. And you got to know who the team's picking at 17. you got to have a player or two with the direction of team needs. I reached out to a lot, several insiders here over the last week to come on here over the next 10 days. So we're going to have a lot of people on my national show, Sirius XM, if they're good enough and they got good Raider information, we'll play some of it on this show. And a lot of people that we're going to be talking to locally about the pick. And when I tell them all, what I tell them all is the same thing. Give me the team need. Because we don't think the player is going to be there other than the 17th pick. 
The Raiders have the 17th pick, and I believe that we can figure out who they're going to take. I really do. I don't think that's going to be impossible. After that, it's impossible, literally impossible, to figure out who the Raiders are going to take next. You don't know. I don't know. Mayock doesn't know who's going to be there. But what I can promise you is when the Raiders make their second pick in the draft, I can promise you, as my name is JT, that you're going to hear Mike Mayock say that that pick, that selection, they graded higher than the pick. So follow me. Whoever that pick is going to be, the Raiders are going to say that they had that player drafted higher and they thought that that player was a little bit better than the player that they were thinking could have been there. And that's what they're supposed to do. That's what the Raiders are supposed to do. They're going to tell you that. That is the second, that's the 16th pick in the second round. The 48th selection overall. 48th pick. I could promise you that Mike Mayock will go to the podium and he's supposed to. He's the GM of the team. And he's going to tell you that that 48th pick, if they don't trade up, which they could, is a player that they had graded in the 30s. You follow me? They're going to tell you that their second-round pick is better than the player that he is picked at number 48 overall because that's Mayock's job. Mayock's job is he's putting his board together, and with the 48th pick and the 79th pick, the 79th pick is in the third round. At 79, they got to get a player that they had on their board between 55 and 60. And with the 48th pick, the Raiders got to get a player that they had graded somewhere between 30 and 35. That makes sense. That's what these guys do. They're supposed to do that. With the 17th pick overall, as I've told you for the last couple of weeks, the 17th pick is not the 17th pick. It's the 7th pick in the draft. The 10 picks before them are easy. I can do it blindfolded. My sons and I were talking about it this weekend. We're going to combine and do a father-son draft. I'm going to post it. Last year, my son and I had more correct picks than Mel Kuyper Jr. and Todd McShay. Fact, not fiction. I posted it. I'll post it again. So those 10 picks that are going before the Raiders at 17, they're easy. I got them right here. I know exactly who they are, and five of them are going to be quarterbacks. One's going to be Kyle Pitts. One's going to be Devontae Smith, Jamar Chase. One's going to be Patrick Sertain II, and Penny Sewell, and probably Rashawn Slater. So the Raiders now can clear out the draft board and start picking at number 10 or 11 and say, who do we get at 17? And I believe that the focus of the draft is going to be if Mayock and Gruden like a player so badly, they think this player is going to change the face of the Raider Nation, they've got to trade up and go get that player. They've got to go get him. They cannot wait till 17. If that's Micah Parsons, if it's Rashawn Slater, if it's um, Vera Tucker, the offensive lineman out of USC, go get him. Don't tell me that the pick at 17 is the pick at 17 unless you're confident he was the best player you had the entire time. And that leaks out. There are a lot of people that work in an organization. That'll leak out down the road. Let's go back to last year and why Henry Ruggs was taken high at 12 over CeeDee Lamb and over Jerry Judy. CeeDee Lamb's a really good player. Jerry Judy had a lot of drops. Don't act like Jerry Judy came into the league and he blew everybody away. Okay, Henry Ruggs caught an unbelievable, unbelievable catch in Carolina. He had the game winner against the Jets. He had a deal with COVID. He did not have a great season because they didn't figure him out. But we told you going into that pick, and I found out about that pick that day. I didn't have it two weeks before. I didn't have it a week before. It was the day of the draft until we had to keep it 
obviously quiet until the pick was selected. And they took that player, Ruggs, high because they thought he could be the next Tyreek Hill. Which makes sense. The Raiders are competing against Kansas City in the division. Oh, by the way, they beat Kansas City in Kansas City. Okay, and then they had Kansas City beat. They had them beat in Vegas. And it was another defensive collapse that led Mahomes on a game-winning drive where nobody covered Travis Kelsey. The one guy you have to cover. And for whatever reason, they couldn't cover Travis Kelsey who was wide open in the end zone. Well, they would have swept Kansas City. So the program is being built in Henderson to compete against the Kansas City Chiefs within the division and build the principles of the Patriots. Now, I say that, and people come at me, and they rip me. Oh, JT, you're a shill. You're a homer. Go ahead and do it. It's going on 23 years. It's worked out well. Okay, I can handle that. that that's part of the job. But what it comes down to is what are these guys going to do this year to clean up the drafts of the past and how they're able to do that. So, NFL Network at NFL.com put together a list of the top GMs who have been together, GM head coaching tandems in the league, okay? So, this isn't callers, callers who are ripping the Raiders, or even radio hosts that do a fine job today. National show this morning, Rip Gruden, put Gruden on TV and just ripped him. And says that he doesn't get it done, blah, 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 Gruden this, Gruden that. But NFL.com, owned by the NFL, where Mike Mayock used to work, used to work, so Mike Mayock did an unbelievable job at NFL Network. Greg Rosenthal power-ranked the NFL head coaches and front office executives as a team, and the Raiders came in dead last. 23rd out of the 23 that they picked. Okay, Chris Ballard of the Colts came in first. His best pick, Quentin Nelson. And then they went to the Steelers at number two. They went to the Buccaneers at number three uh, with Tristan Worse. Last year he won a Super Bowl. He was an offensive lineman taken number 13 overall. He started and went to the Super Bowl and won. And they went through that draft last year in Tampa Bay that had Tristan Worse and Antonio Winfield Jr., both who won Super Bowls as a rookie and were big-time players. Number four was Buffalo. Number five was the Saints with Mickey Loomis. And it went down the list. Jerry Jones. Jerry Jones was, was picked number eight with his best pick being Dak Prescott. John Lynch, number nine. The Chiefs came in in the top ten at ten. So you get where I'm going here. Pete Carroll at number 12. Less need of the Rams, who they've done a nice job at 15. Let me tell you, Bill Belichick of the Patriots came in 18th. 18th out of 23, as they took a look at what Belichick has done since 2016. And then all the way down at the end of the list is John Gruden, Mike Mayock. Best pick, Josh Jacobs, round one, 2019. Worst pick, Lynn Bowden, round three last year. Here's what they wrote about the Raiders, Gruden and Mayock. I'm counting Gruden's first draft in this exercise because he had final say Ever since, even since Mike Mayock's arrival, the Raiders have taken five first-round draft picks in the last two years. The best player is running back Josh Jacobs. Mayock's first draft class looked a lot better before 2020 when Mad Max Crosby, Trayvon Mullen, and Jacobs took a step back. First-round safety Jonathan Abrams' aggressiveness was used against him in his first healthy season. 
Taking Henry Ruggs first among all receivers in a deep class last April was a big risk that didn't pay off year one. Selecting Cleland Farrell at number four overall in 2019 was a similar big swing that's been fouled off so far. I like Mullen and the 2020 first-round cornerback Damon Arnett more than most, but the Raiders' vision for many of their players has not yet been realized. So that is the grade by NFL.com, putting the Raiders, John Gruden, and Mike Mayock in dead last. But the guy wasn't that difficult on him. He likes Arnett, says Cleland Farrell's a foul ball. Henry Ruggs didn't develop yet. Abrams is aggressive. And he likes Trayvon Mullen and Mad Max. So, But this is part of the media perspective of pounding the hell out of the Raiders. The paragraph, two paragraphs I just read were not bad. Josh Jacobs, Trayvon Mullen, Ruggs, Cleland Farrell, Damon Arnett, all players who are still on the roster, healthy, and are going to develop, hopefully, into be really good players with the team. But for whatever reason, they're swinging, and they're coming after Mayock and Gruden. So why do I put that into the monologue on a Monday? I'm bringing this up because of the pressure in Henderson at the facility to nail this draft and what they have to do. Because everybody's watching, and no one is really blown away by Gruden and Mayock as a team just yet and how they're going to put the draft together. Now, fortunately, other than Lynn Bowden, who was let go and didn't make the team, there aren't a lot of crash-and-burn picks here. Trayvon Mullen's a good player. Jonathan Abrams got a new coach. I think the world of Henry Ruggs. I think he'll have a breakout year. Cleland Farrell is a monster who can play on the inside and the outside, but he was drafted a little bit too high, and then Damon Arnett had concussions. So am I shilling? Yeah, you could say that. I'm saying that these guys, I wouldn't cut them yet. I wouldn't get rid of them. But the word is out that these guys are underachievers from an NFL perspective at NFL.com where Mike Mayock used to work. So what does that lead us to? It leads us to the 17th pick, better be in a hell of a player. Okay, they can't be a reach. They can't take the best player on the board who isn't a good fit. They got to get a player that's going to come in and be an ass kicking stud at number 17 and I think they can easily do that it would be really hard to screw this up now I don't know about injuries you could draft a guy 17 he could get hurt well you know that that could happen that's just bad luck but the players who will be on the board the linebackers the edge rushers and the offensive linemen have all been graded out at 17 to be really good players so I think that they should be able to go out and get that player and have an impact starter. I think the one thing that I'd like to accomplish with you here over the next 10 days is what you believe a starter is and what you believe a projective starter is. Because I'm not into projective starters anymore. Okay? I'm not into projective starters. There's no more of this projective starter. You're coming in and you're competing. No, 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 no. The player who gets drafted at number 17 overall is a day one starter. He is a road grader. He is a pass protector. He is a sideline to sideline linebacker. He is not a project on any level. 
He is an edge rusher if he's available like Quiddy Pay or Jalen Phillips out of Miami who you line up on one of the edges on Gus Bradley's system and you say, get to the quarterback. Get, get to the quarterback. No, no, no. Get to the quarterback. Just get in the backfield and be a disruptor. You're playing. You're not going to be involved in a season with limited availability with OTAs and players opting out, which is none of my business. If the players in the union, if they want to opt out of weight training, Weight training 101, and the league's going virtual. I'm not going to get on the flagship of the Raiders and destroy these players. I know the work ethic of Derek Carr. I understand that they'll get their weights done, and they'll show up for their Zoom meetings on time. But if Gus is building and putting in a brand-new scheme on the defensive side of the ball, I don't like the fact that he doesn't get to put his hands on Jonathan Abram in the building as they're both vaccinated and say, I want to line you up here. I want your eyes to be here. I want you to see this. And we got to do this crap on virtual Zooms again. I mean, that's why we have vaccines. That's why we we have testing. And it worked out last year. They played the whole season. And now these these voluntary OTAs where we all know what's happening. Vinny Bonsignor wrote about it. Voluntary OTAs is a way for the union the union that represents the players to get more leverage to the players as the owners are making more money on the television contract and there's a negotiation and give and take. So I gave you a lot there. I'm looking for the 17th pick over the next 10 days, which is roughly eight radio shows, seven to eight radio shows on where you want to go. I hope your phone calls are great. I hope they're heated. I hope they're aggravating. I hope they're loud, and I hope you sound off like you got a pair because this is go time, man. This is go time, and I put everything out on the table that I have. I've given you the trade-up scenario. You have not heard trade down once from me, once from me, trade down. I don't think this team is good enough and have a good enough draft track record to move back anyway. It's too risky to move back. There's going to be a good player at 17, and then you got to find out, Again, if I hear anybody say, my head will pop. If anybody says that this player who was drafted 17 is going to compete at all with someone else, I will lose my freaking mind. If I hear that this player that gets drafted at 17 is going to be some player that's going to kind of learn from Yannick Ngakwe and he's going to back up Mad Max or he's going to be competing in the secondary, don't give me any of that. This guy better play, and you better buy his jersey the second that jersey goes out at the Raider image and NFL.com because this is a badass. This is an offensive lineman that's going to run over people and he's ready to play. Or it's going to be a linebacker or a defensive player who knows how to tackle, knows where to line up, understands where he needs to be in this system, doesn't need to be taught football again because for whatever reason, he needs to learn on how to play at the NFL level. We're dealing with that with John Abram and Damon Arnett. Okay, We're dealing with that now. Uh, Arnett played at the Ohio State. He didn't give up a touchdown forever. He should be able to transition into the NFL where there's a whole bunch of other Ohio State corners who are in this league and doing just fine. So, again, I'm ranted up. I'm ready to go. I'm fired up about all this. Again, the calls need to be better. I don't care who else's show you call. we got a great morning show. Vinny's on. Call whoever the hell you want. You call this show. This show has been the show of the Raider Nation for over 20 years. We expect better out of you if you're calling this show. We expect you to be completely prepared, ready to go with the pick, and have something ready and be excited. 
uh, spent a lot of time, and I tweeted out, uh, Yahoo put out a feature on a really good offensive lineman, Oklahoma State's Tevin Jenkins. Eric Edholm, who we had on last week, and I've been texting with him. I asked him for, for him to send me his information on this, and he believes that this will be the pick for the Raiders at 17. Six foot six, 317 pounds, road grading right tackle or guard who can have a few hiccups in early pass coverage. But the skinny, a three-star rivals recruit, Jenkins picked the Cowboys and redshirted at Oklahoma State in 2016. In 2017, he saw action in 12 games total with three starts, one at right tackle, twice at right guard. And then he just exploded. He was OSU's co-most outstanding offensive player. Honorable mention all-conference. He started the first seven games of 2020, six at right tackle, one at left tackle, earning first-team all-conference before opting out for the remainder of the season while dealing with a hip injury. Okay, don't like hip injuries. He committed to play in the Senior Bowl before opting out. He's just supposed to be a massive, nasty player who runs downhill and generates power. And he's on a bunch of mock drafts. So that's the monologue as we open it up. Dial the number 702-365-9200. Very interested in the interview I have coming up. Once a Raider, always a Raider. Kind of a controversial figure out of college. Raiders, former Raiders quarterback Billy Joel Holbert will join us coming up here in about 10 minutes. So stick around for that. Uh, let's kick it off with Chris in West Oakland on a Monday. Hello, Chris. Hey, JT. I stepped outside for just a second with practice going. I wanted to get this call in. I, I agree with you a thousand percent about I don't want to hear about moving down. I want, for, assuming everything stays the same, whether they stay at 17 or move up, I love the Parsons kid from Penn State. It's high time this team, not just a linebacker, but a player on defense that makes other players better around him. We haven't had that, de- we haven't had a defensive player in a long time that the other team literally has to game plan for. Uh, I don't want to, you know, depth is great and that's fine, but we need difference makers. The reason Corey Littleton struggled so much with the Raiders last year. He was a bust, not because of the system he played in. It's because when he was with the Rams, he played behind Aaron Donald and Indomitian Sue in front of him, who took up double teams. And about Cleveland Farrell, I do disagree. Cleveland Farrell's not a beast. He's the fourth overall pick that they're still trying to find a home for because time and time again, he can't seem to fight off single blocks and become a dominant force in the middle of the line. Like I said, we're going into year three, Farrell. When you're drafted number four overall, you're supposed to be the guy that makes everybody better and play off of you. I read the same article about Gruden and Mayock. I think it's pretty fair. I've always been supportive of Gruden. You know, you know my frustration with the offense and the play calling. But as far as a player personnel guy, Gruden's, remember Gruden's first run with the Raiders, JT? It was Bruce Allen and Al Davis that had final say. When he was in Tampa, Gruden didn't have final say when he took over Dungy's team until about four or five years down the road. He gradually ran them in the ground and got fired. I don't know that he's a player personnel guy. I know that he's a great coach when given the opportunity. Maybe it's time to turn it over and let Mayock 
since this is his, I know Gruden has final say. Maybe it's time to let Mayock have final say in who the players are drafted and let Gruden coach them. But like I said, I want the Parsons kid with number 17. If we can go out and get another player, that's great. But this team's got to get some speed on defense, and we've got to get some dynamic playmaking ability in the secondary that makes other players better. Because I'm tired of the Littletons and Malcolm Smiths. I want the difference makers, not the secondary guys. Thank you, my friend. Talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Thanks for starting off the week. That's a, that's a tone-setter phone call from one of the all-time greats, Chris in West Oakland. Look, the, the players, and Chris often talks about this, they need playmakers, ball hawks. If Jeff Heath is your best ball hawk, you got a problem. And he's not a bad football player, but they got to get guys who can jump routes. I'm not talking about Deion Sanders here or Ronnie Lott, but they got to get guys who can play and be a difference on the defensive side. And that's why I'm really excited about Gus Bradley and Gus Bradley's secondary coaches that he brought in that I'm hopefully going to meet here soon, is that the players on defense are going to be positioned better to make more plays, especially with a better pass rush. One of the weaknesses for the secondary has been the fact that the pass rush hasn't been dominant, and it gives a quarterback another half a second to a second for the receivers to get open, and that's how you torch a secondary. I think we all know that, and that's going to be an improvement. And what, the Raiders bring in like 11 defensive tackles? I mean, I, I have my depth chart here in my office. I mean, I can't even – I can't fit it on one page how many defensive linemen, uh, defensive tackles and linemen that they have. This is going to be a battle, whoever makes the team, and not everybody's going to make the team. They just don't have the slots for everybody to be here. So I think the level of intensity on the defensive line and that improvement is going to help the back end and the secondary. Look, if if Micah Parsons is available at 17, you take him all day. I don't think he'll be there. That's why I suggested a possible move up. Ihole, the new international award-winning ultra-premium tequila from Tequila, Mexico, recognizes the birthplace of tequila. Ihole, smooth, easy to drink, Straight on the rocks or in your favorite cocktail. Ihole, the official tequila of the JT The Brick Show. It's tough. Uh, the rookies can't even start on Monday. They've got to wait to the quote virtual rookie minicamp in May, so it makes it even more difficult. AT, back with you as we continue on right here. Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m., and you get the show loud and clear on the Raiders official team app. Former Raider quarterback Billy Joel Holbert, kind enough to join us. Once a Raider, always a Raider. Billy Joel, thanks for doing this, man. I've been looking forward to this. How are you? Uh, I'm fantastic, and, and I haven't done an interview in a long, long time that didn't uh, that wasn't associated with the University of Washington. And like I told you before we came on, brother, I feel like I'm speaking to a living legend. That's the only reason I agreed to it. I don't think you and I have ever talked personally, and it's fantastic to be on the phone with you, brother. It's my pleasure, and I was really looking forward to this. Before we get to your Raider career, Talk about how you became a football player at a very young age growing up in Washington. You had tremendous athletic ability beyond your years as a young kid. Who told you to believe in this journey you were taking in life as an athlete? Well, my whole family is athletic. My dad was a state champ wrestler. My Uncle Bill was drafted uh, in baseball. My Uncle Bob was drafted in high school out of uh, 
in baseball out of high school. So my whole family is athletic. And quite frankly, I don't think there was any other option but for me to play athletics. Uh, I fell in love with baseball early. That was my passion, still is my passion. I watch baseball, I don't want to say religiously, but I watch it quite a bit. And um, when I got into my freshman year at Ording High School, that's when everything just started clicking. I was never really a quarterback, never dreamt of being a quarterback. And, and quite frankly, it pisses me off now when I train athletes, especially quarterbacks, because that's all they want to be. And in my mind, it's way more important to be a football player than it is to be a quarterback. So the whole quarterbacking thing didn't come about until later on in high school, sophomore, junior year. Uh, I tried to play as many positions as I could tried to be as well-rounded as I could, played multiple sports, which a lot of kids nowadays don't get that opportunity. Um, but I was pushing the athletic. I don't push isn't even the word. I fell into athletics probably from the time I was, you know, in my diaper. So yeah. it's just been a part of who I am and what I've done, and I've, I've been blessed because of it. So really quickly from your high school quarterback years to going to the University of Washington, the curve to learn and to be that good and to be that outstanding early at the end of your high school career and then taking over after Mark Brunell had that knee injury. How did you pick it up so right. quickly? Was it coaching? Uh, well, yeah. Uh, considering our high school ran the University of Washington offense, it was actually not a big learning curve for me. We didn't run the UW offense in its entirety, but I'd say 75 to 80% of what we ran at the high school level was also being run at the University of Washington. So the terminology was the same. The plays were the same. And, and you know as well as anybody, you put any decent quarterback, not even a great quarterback, not even a good quarterback, but a decent quarterback in the same system for seven years, they're going to be pretty damn good at it. Um, mm -hmm. And that's that's kind of what happened. I, I was actually in the process of trying to switch positions at the University of Washington, either tight end or safety linebacker. I didn't really freaking care uh, because I knew Mark Rennell was going to be the starter. Uh, so when he blew out his knee, um, I got pressed back into that position, earned uh, the starting spot, and the rest is history. So from the 91 season to the Rose Bowl MVP and everything that surrounded that program in you. Walk me through it. Put a bow on your college career and how you played, how you came to grips with your legacy there, and where you're at with that today. Wow, that is such a loaded question. I'll try to do that in a yeah. short amount of time as possible. But the, um, you know, as far as coming to grips with my legacy, I don't ever concern myself with that. My legacy now involves the kids that I've mentored over the last 15, 20 years. It's the my own family, my own children, my grandson. That's my legacy that I care about. As far as the sports are concerned, that's that's all been great. Uh, again, everything I have in my life, I have because of football, specifically the Raiders, quite frankly. And, uh, you know, that's both good and bad. I have a lot of joy in my life, but I also have a lot of freaking ache in my life, you know, between my knees, my ankles, my hips, my back. Uh, all of that I owe to football, but as far as the University of Washington is concerned, you know, I went there because that's where I was supposed to have gone. I mean, I, my whole family was a dog family. Like, I'm talking every single member of my family. So the idea of not going to the University of Washington was almost appalling to most of them when I considered Alabama, uh, even USC I was kind of looking at a little bit. Uh, Syracuse I actually liked a lot. Uh, but I was 
you know, willing to take a look. But the truth of it is, my family, I think, would have disowned me if I did not go to the University of Washington. Now, the fact that, you know, we won the national championship and I happened to be the quarterback the year that we won it obviously led to my or kind of fed into my NFL career. But the truth of it is, I never really thought of myself as a quarterback, um, mm-hmm. even to this day. When I look back at it, it's like, yeah, I, I, I know a lot about the position now because I've been studying it for 25 years straight. Um, and, you know, falling back to, you know, being a quarterback on the national championship team, to me, I just look at myself as just a member, just a guy that didn't screw it up because our defense was so good, our offense was so good. All I had to do was not throw two interceptions a game and we were going to win a lot. The fact that we won a national championship, honest to God, had everything to do with our defense. So I don't know really how to answer that as far as my mm-hmm. personal, how I feel about my legacy at the University of Washington. But, you know, obviously it was very proud to have been a part of a national championship team, but that's that's not what I look at. I look at the, the, the relationships that I had there, the, the memories, the stories, the locker room talk, um, you know, all of that is what kind of sticks in my head way more, way more than the wins. Billy Joe Holbert is our guest, uh, former Raider quarterback. All right, so let's go from Don James to Al Davis. Make the connection. Mm. How do you go from the Huskies to the Raiders, L.A. Raiders, 93 through 96, and getting drafted in the third round, the 58th pick? Mr. Davis doesn't take a quarterback, let alone in the third round, unless he believes he can eventually play for him. What's the backstory with Al Davis? Oh, God, I loved Al. Um, you know, I've seen Al have some pretty, um, uh, I don't even know, gnarly relationships with people. And usually those people were the, the players and the personnel that didn't fully understand the nature of uh, the chain of command. And Al Davis was extremely loyal to those who are loyal, loyal to him. And I've seen him take care of people for decades after they were done playing for him. Um, he and I would meet every Thursday night to discuss game plan. He'd come into the players' lounge and play pool with me because I stayed late a lot. Not necessarily to watch film, unfortunately, but you know, just to kind of hang out, we'll let traffic die down. So I had a great relationship with Al Davis. And probably, I, I don't know if it was as good as my relationship with Coach James, but um, it certainly was one of you know boss and employee. Uh, but I was always respectful to him, and I always appreciated the fact that he did believe in me, uh, even though I still, even at that time, didn't necessarily believe in myself as a quarterback. Uh, even with the Raiders, I tried to play other positions. Uh, I just wanted to get on the freaking football field. I didn't care if I was throwing it or if I was tackling the guy running with it. It didn't matter to me. So um, I owe everything quite frankly, to Al Davis. And I think what he liked about me most was at that time I can throw a deep ball probably as well as anybody in the country. Um, and we had a lot of guys that you had to throw it extremely deep to get it to because they were so damn fast. I mean, we had some burners out there. Billy Joe Holbert is our guest. So being a backup, getting an opportunity to play, just wanting to get on the field, how did you handle that? What was that like emotionally for this notorious football team, a global team at that point's already won three Super Bowls, the pressure of being a Raider, how did you handle that back in the day? Uh, well, I loved every bit of it, first of all. I didn't look at it as pressure. I looked at it as, like, you know, I could walk around, and I'm sure every guy on the freaking 
any Raider alumni, I think, would probably agree to the same thing. When you are an alumni of the Raider organization, you feel like you can walk around uh, knowing that you're at the epitome of greatness. Uh, you're involved with an organization that accepted nothing but your very best effort all the freaking time. Um, so that, that's, that's how I look at, you know, being a Raider. Uh, but ironically, growing up in Seattle, just south of Seattle, uh, being around when the Seahawks first came to pass in the uh, 70s, you know, everybody in my family was a huge Seahawks fan, but I could not help, even as a young kid, being attached to the Raider organization. And for me, um, you know, watching, well, I, I can't even go through the laundry list because it would be too long, but you know the Raider greats from the 60s, 70s, or especially the 70s and 80s. Um, I legitimately became the biggest Raider fan on the freaking planet when they had Bo Jackson. And then all of a sudden, you know, you got freaking Brian Bosworth. That was my personality. That was my, yeah. you know, I, that's, that's how I, I identified myself as just freaking get out there and bombs ahoy. Whatever happens, happens. And, uh, I've always, always been a Raider fan. So being drafted by them, was huge. And I don't care if it was a first-round pick or a last-round pick, but having the opportunity to be a Raider is something that every player probably secretly desires. Wrapping it up with Billy Joe Holbert, former Raiders quarterback. So who was your favorite teammate? Who would you have the best relationship with with the Raiders? Uh, Dan Turk had a, and Jeff Jager had a great relationship mm-hmm. with both those guys. Dan Turk is, is now past. Jager's still living up in the Seattle area. Um. I also, you know, got along really well with James Jett. We came in at the same time. Um, man, I, I, I've only been, I couldn't even tell you. Unfortunately, I'm not really hanging out friends with any of those guys anymore. Now that I've gotten older, five kids, grandkid, uh-huh. moving all around the country, I've lost contact with a lot of those guys. But, um, you know, I had, a, I had a special time at the Raiders, and we didn't win the Super Bowl when I was there. But, man, I'll tell you what, we had a, uh, we had a pretty good group of guys. What do you think about what Mark Davis is doing in Vegas? You got your legacy brick. You see the stadium. Uh, when COVID protocols lift, I'm sure you'll be down here for some games. What do you think of the silver and black now leaving <laughs> Oakland and coming to Sin City in Vegas? Does that feel like a good fit for well, you? I love it. I freaking love it. There's a lot of people that I've talked to that are still kind of questioning the whole deal. And and first and foremost, I've always loved the Oakland Raider aspect. I'm not entirely even though I was drafted by the L.A. Raiders, played two years there and two years Oakland, I've always thought of them as the Oakland Raiders, just like a lot of other people have. But this move to Vegas is huge. And you're talking about that legacy brick. I have that thing right on my freaking mantle. So right when you walk into the house, boom, that's what you see. I'm probably as proud of that as I am as the the Rose Bowl trophy. Um, But what Davis is doing, bringing it to Vegas, I thought, God, what's catch-22? Because the NFL's so, always been so anti-Vegas and anti-gambling, and you know they warn you know, all the players about all the atrocities that come with that type of lifestyle, uh, and then they're moving there. Vegas is so freaking lucky to have the Raider organization there, and, and I think Davis is brilliant for bringing them there. My only concern and my only hope is that for these young kids like myself, who have a propensity to do crazy-ass things, make sure that they take the time to educate these players about, you know, the dangers of addiction, especially when it comes to gambling. Because, holy cow, when I was younger, man, I threw away money left and right. And there's a lot of temptation in Vegas. That's the only thing that I'm concerned about. 
for the players, but for the organization, I think it's freaking brilliant. Finally, Billy Joel, what what is next for you? You've had this really deep life. There's so much going on. I got to get you on a really long podcast where we can talk a little bit looser from language wise and really go do a do a deep dive because this is the flagship. What's next from you from a Super Bowl MVP to this career at UW to being a Raider? You mentioned your grandkid and your kids and all that. What do you want to do next? What's the next chapter in your life look like? Well, for the last 20 years, um, I've been training and mentoring athletes uh, from high school to college, college to the NFL, uh, and I retired last year. Actually, I retired when my son committed to play football at Washington State. And spending a year away from the game, uh, I think, has really opened up my eyes as to what my future is going to be. And my future is (laughs) going to be right back to training, mentoring, and coaching as often as I can. Football's in my blood. Uh, I've tried to take a year off, and, and it, it, just, it just pained me. Uh, and going back to the point about the podcast and speaking a little looser, I might be a little bit slower in the way I articulate things when I'm on the phone with you right here because I'm <laughs> trying to find words that I can use instead of what normally comes off my tongue. So I apologize for any of the pauses. But the, uh, the future for me is going to be the same as always, just try to live – the best life that I can live as clean as possible, um, be a good example uh, to my kids and to my family, uh, and just, you know, live life the way God intended, quite frankly. Sounds great. I look forward to seeing you in Vegas. Really happy we can connect this way. Raider fans appreciate it. Have a great one. I thank you so much for coming on. Love it, JT. The Brick, you are the freaking man, and I, I can't wait to listen to you in the future, man. You got it, buddy. Thank you. There he is, Billy Joel Holbert, joining us, former Raider quarterback. When we told them, they told me, the alumni department, that we, we were going to have him, and they said, hey, you know, let's get this done because he has a lot to tell you. And his unique, his unique legacy with what happened at the University of Washington, which he was open to, you got to remember his college eligibility was an issue there in the Pac-10 conference. There were sanctions institutional control led to coach Don James resigning in protest. I mean, there was a lot happening there as Holbert became implicated in a major scandal back in the day there. But he, I had a buddy of mine today who's a great friend of mine. I said I was having Billy Joel on, and he's a UW, Washington Husky alumni. And I said, what do you think of this? And he said, love the guy. He was great. He made one bad decision when he was a kid. No big deal. We all do it. He's a huge Husky. He's a Husky for life. I love Billy Joel. So I'm going to do more with him. We'll get him on a podcast, and we'll, we'll set this up and talk about some of the trials and tribulations that he had. But, again, he came to the Raiders. was with the Raiders a while, 93 through 96, as he mentioned, James Jett. And he was the 58th pick in the 1993 NFL draft. You know what's interesting? He was a third-round pick, 60 picks ahead of Mark Brunel. 60 picks. He was the third quarterback taken in that draft. You know, we're talking about the five that are going to go maybe in the top 10 picks coming up a week from this Thursday. He was in the draft with Drew Bledsoe and Rick Meyer. That's a big deal. So when you look at he was also drafted, as he mentioned, baseball by the White Sox, but chose to go to the NFL. He loves being a Raider. He loves being a Raider, and that's why we do this segment, Once a Raider, 
always a Raider. That was brought to you by Remy Martin, Team Up for Excellence. Remy Martin always reminding you, raise your cocktail game. It could be with the original sidecar with Remy VSOP, the Royal sidecar with Remy 1738, or if you want to elevate your cocktail game, I order the exceptional sidecar with Remy XO. Remy Martin, raise your cocktail game. Appreciate having Billy Joel Holbert on. Remember what we're doing this week is we're picking the 17th pick ahead of Mike Mayock. For fun, that's our goal. I'm counting on every Raider fan to call me for the next week and a half and tell me what that pick's going to be. So when I go into anchoring the draft on Thursday night on the flagship, I got a real good understanding about what you're thinking. Who do the Raiders take? It's the countdown to the NFL draft right here on Raider Nation Radio. Really, I think it comes down to just trying to have the most thorough understanding that you can of where the the strengths and weaknesses of the draft are, understand what league value is, and then try to have a little ability to move up and down the board, trade up, trade down, and try to take advantage of it to the best you can. It's Mike Mayock talking to me last year. JT, back with you as we continue on. Brought to you by Salmon Ash. SalmonAshLaw.com because you deserve what's right. They are heavily involved in the community. They're our friends. They do the right thing. You get two for one, two great attorneys, 702-820-1234. Put their phone in your notes in your system. Easy to see, 702-820-1234. Uh, breaking news, the Raiders signed cornerback Rasul Douglas, free agent cornerback, six foot two, 209-pound corner. After stints with Philadelphia and Carolina, Originally, the Eagles' third-round selection, 99th overall in the 2017 NFL Draft. He's appeared in 60 games, 29 starts over his first four seasons, 180 tackles, including 10 for loss, five interceptions, 34 pass defended. Seems like a play to bring in depth and competition here, and we'll see what happens. And again, He's not the fastest guy out there. He's bigger than your average cornerback, and we'll see where he fits in on the depth competing for a position here. Mikey in Staten, Italy, checking in on Raider Nation Radio. What's happening, Mike? Yo, JT, how you doing, my friend? I would love for that linebacker, Amico Persons, to fall or trade up. He has Raider, old-time Raider written all over him. But we, I want to see this draft. Uh, with Gruden, see how much you got to go with the best player available. If somebody falls on your depth charts to you and you move up, I don't want them to draft for a need. What's your, what's your take on this kid from Penn State, the linebacker? Uh, Mikey, he's the guy I've been talking about for a month. This is the guy I think the Raiders not only could get because he could fall to them, but I think he'll be gone by then. I think the Giants at number 11, I think he can go anywhere from 11 to 13. So I would consider the Raiders trading up. If Micah Parsons isn't picked by the 11th pick and the Raiders are pretty much five picks or six picks away, I would trade up and go get him. I think he could be that type of impact player. I agree with you. He, he, not that, and I know this is sacrilegious because me and you, you're a giant fan. But he has a little LT in him, you know that that little craziness to him. But uh, another guy, if somehow Donovan Smith, the Heisman Trophy, falls to the Raiders, uh, no. he, he has Al Davis written all over him as that speed from the edge. 
Yeah, appreciate the call, my friend. Good to hear from you. Yeah, you know, Devontae Smith, the Raiders had Amari Cooper. They got Henry Ruggs third. They have Darren Waller, who puts up wide receiver numbers. They have Hunter Renfro. I mean, I would, I would be shocked. Now, if Devontae Smith fell and wasn't drafted and he's there at 17, would Gruden be looking around, tapping his foot on the ground, going, oh, my God, he's available? Or Jalen Waddell? But that's not, that's not what the Raiders need. The Raiders need a right tackle or a starting linebacker in depth in the secondary. And you can get that with the 17th pick overall. Uh, Tim Neverett, voice of the Dodgers, is going to join us sometime next hour. Uh, Dodgers had an amazing series with the Padres. If you caught any of that, that was some really good baseball. We'll talk to him next hour and take your phone call, 702-365-9200. It's Raider Nation Radio. Raider Nation Radio.